Yes, hello folks. Welcome to a very special episode of Beyond the Pitch. Delighted to be joined here for the very first time. Fantastic James Rhodes from uh, United Muppeteers, as we promised last week. We would do a joint podcast this week. I'm going to be also be on his podcast, which I'm looking forward to. So we'll be doing a few of these throughout the season. I hope you like them. Um, lots of things we're going to talk about here, of course, primarily matches and transfer business, some of the other stuff that's going on around the football club. Uh, really excited to have to do this with James, to have James on the podcast for the first time. So first of all, James, how are you doing, man? Good, good. I'm doing well. Thanks for, for having me. How are you? All good, all good, man. Thank you for coming on. First time. Before before uh, we get into it, there's one thing uh, someone I was talking to when uh, he saw that I was going to be on the, the podcast with you. He said he he's grown up down the street from where you're from, and he made me promise to uh, call you a mucker. And he thought you'd get a kick out of it. Who told you that? <laughs> it's just a, someone I talked to, um, you know, he doesn't know you, but he said, you know, uh, he knows who you are, knows where you're from. And he's he lives right down the street, I think, from where you grew up. So he yeah, I may worry there. I thought we were so, talking about immigration or something. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, lots of stuff to talk about. As I said, uh, for the Get Up Tears listeners reaching me for the first time. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you, and for the United fans that listen to my podcast, uh, please give James a warm welcome, and if you get a chance, follow him on Twitter, at United, uh, what, what is it, Muppeteers? Just that, Muppeteers, yep. Yeah, and of course, you can subscribe to his content, he's on YouTube, and podcast, his podcast on there, so it's great to have him on the show. James, last talk about, obviously, uh, we'll start with United Transfer Business, because that's yep. primarily what's very discussion right as it usually does do to summer, lots of fans really appreciate Um my suggestion is you unplug from Twitter for a while. Because, yep. <laughs> um, I knew this was going to happen. I knew United would be linked with players, <clears throat> an uh, unbelievable amount of players, with the fact that they obviously knew they needed to spend the summer, a new manager coming in, and what have you. Um, we'll start with the Frankie De Jong thing, okay? because this story broke a couple of weeks ago. And the one thing I was hoping that wouldn't happen with De Jong was we'd have a saga. It seems like we have one of these every year. Um, some of the things that have been written to me are a bit insane, a bit nonsense. First of all, the fact that, uh, this, this, that he didn't want to come to Manchester United. Now, I want you to think about this in some other abstract terms. Imagine you work for a company you want to hire your mate. I mean, how long is it going to take you to find out if he wants to come or not? About oh, five yeah. seconds. Right? Yep. So I would find it hard to believe that Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United did not ask Frankie de Jong, before they went through the process of bidding for him and what have you, would he come? And I'm sure they got the requisite answers. Now, of course, it's believed that he will come, but I think he was always going to come. Um, Based on what I'm told, I would be surprised, very surprised, if United didn't do this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's obviously been in progress now for, you know, as you said, you hoped it wouldn't be a saga, but it's been four weeks since it came out, you know, starting in, in Spain. And you know, I think that people have to separate out some of the ways that things have been reported. They obviously had conversations before pressing ahead to see if you would join. And, and you know, so at some point people made the comparisons to players like Di Maria and others uh, simply because, you know, of his preferences. And But I think there's a difference here. If Barcelona weren't in the financial trouble that they were in, he'd probably stay, right? He's not a player Mm -hmm. who was searching for a transfer. It's not like, you know, a guy who's looking to make the next step. Barcelona was probably the end game for him um, and hasn't quite worked out and they've got their whole situation. So when he makes comments like, you know, I want to stay at Barcelona or stories in the past about how he wants to stay at Barcelona, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, It doesn't mean that he wouldn't join. It doesn't mean that, you know, he's turning it down or that he'd, you know, be forced into... Manchester and hate it and, and want to get out every second of every day. Um, you know, he would stay at Barcelona if he wanted, but obviously at this point they made it clear, at least it's been reported. He wants to join. I think that probably happened a lot earlier than it's been reported, as you've said, because they wouldn't be moving ahead with the whole process as they have and to get to this point. And yeah, it really should happen. I mean, you know how United go once things start getting out in the media as they did last week, near the end of the week and they're just talking about a little bit on fees and things like that. It's, it's usually a case where they get the deal done and, and over the line in the end. I think they will get this deal done. I think there's a couple yep. of things. United are very image conscious. They're obviously aware yep. of 
their perception in the media. Um, they're obviously, you could see the rivals have been wrapping up players. I think there's also a couple of things that we have to come to terms with. One, where Manchester United are at. Manchester United are the Europa League team. To you, me, and all United fans, Manchester United are the biggest football club in the world. But if you're not a Manchester United fan, Manchester United are just another big football club that used to be great. And United are probably where Liverpool were under Hodgson, right? Yeah. And the same packing order happened then. We United were able to pick off players that would never have gone to Liverpool because they were football clubs we had known in their past. I mean, I can think of very few examples of players turning down United for Liverpool. Harry Kewell might be one of them, but very few. <clears throat> um, but now we have to face reality. When you want to scale the damage that's been done to Manchester United over the last 10 years, this is one of the metrics, is that United are in this really strange predicament where they're trying to attract players, but they don't want to do it based on the fact that they can pay you more than everyone else because that led yep. to the problems that they see today. So now mm -hmm. you need to give them reasons to sign. The reasons to sign for Frankie de Jong is Eric Ten Hag, right? The reason to sign for Frankie de Jong, if you look at de Jong's stats, de Jong's stats are worse than Fred's last season, yep. right? In terms of assess small at right? Now, to be fair, De Jong had been played in a more advanced school at Barcelona rather than a defensive midfield role because of the form of Busquets. And he isn't an extremely popular player with Barcelona fans. So I mm -hmm. think there will be very little consequence for them to cash in on him. Barcelona are doing what Barcelona should do and try to get that price up. United you know, are doing what they should do and get that price down. Uh, so <clears throat> I think Manchester's first game is four weeks away, essentially 30 days away. Pre-season yep. will start at the end of June. De Jong will have to be done by then, right? Because Ten Hag needs to prepare. I'm sure, I think that this will be a big week in the De Jong situation. United will be eager to wrap this up because, as I was saying on Friday, whatever they pay for De Jong is also contingent upon what they can pay for other players. And we'll get into other players. We'll get into Anthony Dominic as an author in a bit. <clears throat> but, um, and I also think that this is their major signing of the summer. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier, James. Could United fans really expect more, a better player than Frankie De Jong, given their current predicament? No, honestly, it, you know, it, and as you mentioned, his reason for coming to United would be Eric Ten Hag. So, you know, if you take Eric Ten Hag out of the equation you wouldn't expect to get a player like this. You know, obviously we'll cover Darwin Nunez and discuss kind of that, but when it, when it comes to an established top-level player in a position where United are threadbare, you know, uh, not that, you know, <laughs> Paul Pogba leaving could be in some ways positive in view just in, in how his time hasn't worked out at United, but the simple fact of the matter is, you know it, I know it, everybody's known it about United for at least two to three years now that a midfielder is such a badly needed position, especially a player who can operate from deep. You know, we've got Bruno Fernandes and Donny van de Beek coming back. These are all players who can play in advanced positions, but that player who will come and pick the ball off the back line, which Frankie de Jong likes to do, which he doesn't do at Barcelona currently. Um, you couldn't ask for probably a better midfielder, signing than Frankie de Jong. And so it should be viewed as a huge, huge win if they get this over the line and about the possible best case scenario for the summer in terms of a midfielder signing. I mean, we could talk about Declan Rice is a bit of a different player and, but you know, the costs for him were exceedingly outrageous as they were quoted by West Ham. So frankly, it doesn't get much better than this, especially with the manager in place it's not going to take a year to transition into Ten Hag's system for Frankie de Jong, which you sometimes get with big signings. You've seen that with, with Jaden Sancho. Obviously, there's a lot going on, but big signings can take a lot of time to, to get in. And, and uh, with Frankie de Jong, that's a player you see as an instant impact. He comes in, he fits right in, he knows what to do. Well, I think there's a couple of things that United have to really consider. Um, first of all, this position for a player that can pick the ball up from defence and play out has been a position that have been looking at for a while. They were considering Thiago before he went to Liverpool, right? Mm -hmm. For this very reason, is <clears throat> because uh, they wanted a player that could do that. Um, and there's no question that a body need an upgrade in that position. Uh, there's also, when you look at a lot of the problems in Saint United's dressing room, um, 
they're anxious to make sure that the players that they sign desperately want to come. But the problem is, how do you desperately want to come to Manchester United if you're a world-class player? This is why Eric Ten Hag is so important. And this is why I can understand why he goes after the players that he knows, such as Anthony, yep. right? yep. such as Julian Timber. Because these are players that want to play for the manager as well as the football club, not just someone that's looking for a brand, looking for a bump to the brand. And here's the thing with United. They're a really difficult precipice, in my opinion, because if this doesn't go right, this, I honestly feel this could be the tipping point for the Glazers because one of the unique situations that we find ourselves in that we weren't really in in 2005, we weren't really even in 2010 or 11, is the power of social media with sponsors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so the metrics for the Glazers, are, are sorry, the optics of the Glazers, if they've got protests inside the stadium, are awful, right? The optics for the Glazers are Manchester United when they've got fans attacking sponsors online are awful because sponsors are paying for brand association, essentially fan equity. Buy my product because I sponsor your football club. But once that, once you have no fan equity, once you have fans that are angry at your club, angry at the owners, yep. and ang- the reverse happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Manchester United fans are getting a reputation for boycotts, right? And so this is something where they can't get this wrong. Mm-hmm. And as much as I want to see Alex Darwin Nunez, United are not going to catch Liverpool and City by yep. going out and buying three or four players at 80, 90 million. They're just not going to do that. Right. Uh, it's also obvious to me that the Glazers are trying to copy the Liverpool model, where the vast majority of your players are in that 40, 50 million mark and supplemented by one or two of Van Dyke or Nunez or someone like that. So, um, to me, I think uh, they're trying to change the atmosphere inside the dressing room, the attitude inside the dressing room. But what is really important to me, James, is that. In order to change it, you have to have strict control parameters coming from the top down. Because United have allowed these situations to develop. They've allowed these situations with players to develop. Because it's repetitive. I mean, United have their own entropy. Every three years, they go from organization to chaos. right? And so this is something that Richard Arnold has to put in place consequences for failure at Manchester United for not being a top footballer. I don't care how good your brand is. I don't care how much you make the football club. The ultimate metric of success or failure at Manchester United has to be what you do on a football pitch. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And, and you can see it's been, you know, it's definitely been not that way for too long. And, and the point you make on sponsors and all of that is important. You know, this last season, we've had our lows and, and, and all of that, but this last season, I think has probably been the worst, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of press coverage, in terms of where things are at, in terms of the fan opinion, in terms of the sentiment online, easily the worst season I've experienced, you know, as a United fan, obviously there's probably people older than me that have experienced worse, but Mm -hmm. in the modern game, this is it, you know, even, you know, under previous managers, there were still some trophies being won here and there. There was still some success happening under, obviously under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there was a lot of positivity with the direction of things until this season. Um, even without some trophies being won, there was some good sentiment and his being in that position did protect the club a bit from that sentiment as well, as there was a good portion of, you know, the fan base that would still support him and what he did and what he was bringing and all of that uh, for good reason. But with what happened this year, off the back of, as you mentioned, the protests last year from the whole Super League fiasco and everything that went on with that, it's as bad as it's ever been. And I mentioned, you know, I know we're going to talk about it a bit, but I mentioned a while back on on Twitter and, and, and a few opinions that this season overall felt like what is hopefully the death, you know, the death rattle from the last 10 years of just complete chaos you know, even even before Sir Alex left, obviously there were things not being done right. Um, but the last ten years have been terrible, and this is the bottom. This has to be the bottom because if it isn't, then it is the tipping point. It has to be the tipping point for the ownership, where it no longer makes even financial sense as as things can start to go the other direction with sponsors, where they want to go away because 
they're not getting good press by being associated with Manchester United. Mm-hmm. They're getting bad press. And that's the last thing that they want to see happen. So, you know, the, the prioritization of football is no longer just a, an option, but a necessity to turn things around because it's gotten so bad that it is affecting the business side of things. I mean, even from a player perspective, like you talked about, about convincing them to come to United, United were still a good draw. Even recently, they've been able to pick off players from who are interested in Manchester City, who are interested in Liverpool, who are interested in these other big clubs. Not anymore. Erling Haaland flat out rejected United multiple times, you know, and has gone to City. Um, I wouldn't say Darwin Nunez has rejected United. I think you have more on that. But there's a lot of players that just aren't going to pick up and say, we'll choose United. I'm going to, t- I'm going to come to United over anybody else. And so you're right, you know, Ten Hag prioritizing players who he knows, who he's familiar with, who would choose United, who will fight, who will work, is the, is the reason why you're seeing so many names come up, simply because they may not be able to convince anybody else to join and convince well, anybody else to, to come to United. Yeah, and so th- we'll, we'll get into some of this in a second, because I want to talk about, um, you know, how United are... are operating um uh, we'll get into that in a second but one of the problems is that <clears throat> imagine you're Dominic Nunez and you talk to Edison Cavani Edison Cavani basically gave up the last six months of the season now yep. Edison Cavani was picking his games the season before wanted to leave last January didn't get permission to leave because one, of what happened with Mason Greenwood. Two, the fact that yep. we now can see why Ralph Ranick wasn't getting money in January because Eric Ten Hag yep. would be starting with a budget of about 60, 70 million if he'd have done yep. so, right? Because you know, just don't have the money to do this. So, um, again, another consequence of the toad street you know, they find themselves in, um, this, this death spiral um, that... Uh, and, and, yes, there was previous years where United weren't successful it's not that it's the reasons because what we see at Manchester United is deliberate right yeah it's one thing not being successful and it continuing to try to be successful and falling short it's another thing being deliberately uh uh parsimonious being uh, deliberately feeling because yep. of an ownership strategy. I mean, every single thing that you see happening in it now, they were told to do 2013, 2014, and they've ignored this forever. Yep. Yep. So um, now they're in a situation where they have to do it. And this is where it's going to get interesting for me. <clears throat> Apologies to the people that listen to my podcast because they've heard me say this more than once. <laughs> but you need to go back to see the roots of United's cause <clears throat> um, back to Ferguson Gill. So David Gill and Edward Wood do not like each other, right? Deeply dislike each other. Uh, They've never been popular. So um, when you go back to when Wayne Rooney held the football club, a science leader ransom, what that was basically over was at the time United, and he knew this, uh, that all the sponsors were requesting Rooney to be front and centre. Right, of their brand because you never had no other superstars at the time that anyone was was a global superstar. Edward Ward didn't like this and swore that he would sign Galacticos, right? Mm-hmm. Build United's commercial brand around signing big name players because he felt they could monetize them. And he did that for a while, right? Yep. But now United don't have the money to do that anymore. And so United now have to operate as a football club, right? Yep. Not as Richard Arnold once said, uh, 26 George Clooney's, <clears throat> right? Which gives you an idea of how you need to see that football club, mm-hmm. right? Adult Disneyland, right? It's really a, a business that happens to play football, right? And so now they can't afford to do it anymore, right? Because you, what they're realizing is you need success, right? Yeah. Uh, accompanied with that to maximize because now people have other options. I mean, Real Madrid, a club United compared themselves with, just won the 14th European Cup. 14th. Yep. After that, they were ready to spend 150 million on Mbappe. They've just spent 100 million on it on Chiamani, right? Brown and Rudiger. Stuff United fans can only dream of, right? <clears throat> United have won three European Cups. So 
is it any surprise that players choose Real Madrid over? And 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 there's another myth about this, by the way, that the English Premier League is the best league in the world. Well, they've never had a sustained period of domination in Europe since the eighties. Yeah. Right. Uh, since nineteen sixty-eight, when George Best won the European uh, Player of the Year, the Ballon d'Or. There's been two English-based players that have won the Ballon d'Or. Two. One was Ronaldo, one was Michael Owen. Like Kevin Keegan won it at Hamburg. So in that time, English football hasn't had a Ballon d'Or winner. Right? Since Cristiano Ronaldo in his prime in 2008. Right? So the best football has never really did come to England. Right? Maybe it has better... Uh, competitive balance. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But so United now they need to behave like a football club. But can they behave like a football club? Because the question I and I have to me is they've made so many changes internally, changes that needed to be made. But these people are inexperienced. And we know what happened when we were first season at Manchester United. The transfer market was an unmitigated disaster. And that's what concerns me is that you've got a bunch of people in there that don't really have any experience doing what they're doing that will be eager to please their paymasters. They don't work for Ten Hag, they work for the Glazers. And they're behaving like a football club that's just won the treble. Well, we're not paying for this. We're not paying for that. We're not doing this. Take a look at what just happened. As much as I would love for that to be the case, where we can go out and play hardball, the reason why you can't is because of years and years and years of ineptitude. That's why you're in this situation. So unfortunately, it may mean that you might have to overpay to get yeah. players, right? I'm yeah. not saying that overpaying in terms of we're going to offer you ridiculous uh, incentives. Yeah. The incentives have to change. No more. We're going to turn you into a global superstar. We're yeah. going to put you. We're going to take your followers and turn you into none of that. That can't yeah. even be part of the discussion. Yep. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And and you're right. And and you know, I think that most fans are fed up a little bit of uh, some of the, you know, the media. The way that they do it, because like you said earlier, they're very key on their image as well. And when you take a deal like Frank de Jong, it's not that we don't think it'll happen. We do. And I expect it will. But at the same time, you do get a little frustrated. You look at stories like they're going to walk away. They don't want to be held ransom. They don't want to do this or that. And there's truth to, to holding into these strategies and negotiation, except United's position isn't that strong from a football standpoint now. We need it. Everybody knows we need it. Everybody knows we need to pl- these players in, that we need this to happen. And, and like you said, though, in terms of the players, the incentives, the pay structures, the whole thing that has to be set up, and it's a work in progress. I mean, I'm not sure that signing Cristiano Ronaldo fit within the supposed work in progress over the last few years, but they've been clearing some of the bigger wages and doing more incentive-based structures and, and things like that. But that has to be the focus. That has to be the only way forward. You don't want to see, you know, them offering four hundred thousand, and it's good they didn't do this, offering four hundred, five hundred thousand to Paul Pogba to stay because he has a huge, you know, social media following and obviously is a major star uh, in world football. You don't want to see them doing that. But yeah, it's a funny position that United find themselves in, where they're caught between two minds, where you don't want to keep just spending enormous amounts of, of money and having clubs take advantage of you. But at the same time, you have to pay up for certain players that are needed like Frankie de Jong. But outside of that, they have to be smart. They have to go down the Liverpool route of buying up good players for 40, 50 million. And we'll go into names and all of that, but they have to do that or less. Even there, there's players out there, you know, um, Manchester city until recently, they didn't spend that much per player. Their record signing, I think, had been Mares before they spent $100 million on Jack Grealish, which I don't think has been worth it yet. And now spending, you know, they got Erling Haaland for £51 million as a release clause. A lot of clubs have been built up with success without making tons of huge signings, but by making very smart football-related signings in that middle range um, getting good value for really good footballers and focusing on that side of it. And, and that is where United need to go is get a good number of very good footballers in regardless of whether they're superstars or not and, uh, and turning them into something. 
And and the good part about it, I mean, it, it is a long process. It's it's not like it's going to be over in an instant. But if United have a solid football team in place and they're back in Champions League and they're back winning a couple trophies, the size and scope of the the Manchester United fan base and the team itself will allow them to be competitive with other teams in terms of bringing players in. That doesn't have to be a long road, but it's going to be peaks and valleys again in terms of their ability to draw players if it's not done right and if it's not a solid straight buildup. Uh, it, but it hasn't been. It hasn't been. And, and this is the kind of the moment where it has to be because there are no other options now, as you've said. The other thing also, you know, that keeps getting overlooked is <clears throat> a lot of criticisms come out about Ralph Ranić's ability to coach. And uh, players have been leaking about him. I was at Old Trafford uh, late December, spoke to people on, say, the football club who explained to me that um, you know, players were unhappy because my new kid sat them down and read them home truths. And uh, let's just take people at their word and say Ralph Ranić was a coaching disaster. So are we there just ignore the fact that United once again employed another disastrous coach? No, but they'll get it right this time. So, yeah, you know, it's tricky, this is it? where Murda has to take responsibility <laughs> yep. to me, right? Because if one of two things happened, either he was a disastrous coach, right? In which case the club are responsible and the people that picked him and evaluated him are responsible for that, right? Or the problems inside the football club were so unfixable for anyone, right? In which case, the people who run the football club are responsible for that, right? So to me, one way or another, it doesn't reflect well on the football club. And so Ranić, uh, you know, has, let's just say, say he at the very least said things that a lot of fans believed in. They got rid of him quickly. You know, let's be honest, the consultancy was so vague anyway. It mm-hmm. really was yeah. a sweetener. Right? <clears throat> but they got rid of him quickly. And they got rid of him quickly because he was quite vocal publicly. I knew that when he was doing this, you know, it would bristle right, oh, yeah. at what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, it also sets expectation amongst fans. And when you've got, it's one thing you and I saying that it need 10 players. It's another thing when the football manager, when the manager of the football club was turning around and saying you need 10 players. I knew that was the comment that was going to do that. Right? Because it's totally unrealistic that United would even do that. Even if they had the money, right? Um, I, I doubt there's a will of the competence to do something like that. Uh, but um, so there's that problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, also, look, when you're a consultant, you know, my three-year-old is a consultant in the house. It doesn't mean you listen to her. It doesn't mean that yep. they have any weight. You know, mm-hmm. ultimately, United have to deliver on what Ten Hag wants. So let's talk about Darwin Nunez for a second because <clears throat> let's United fans upset. I have to be honest, I'm indifferent. I was indifferent about his saying and I'm indifferent about him not coming for a couple of reasons. One, I think there is a very real pro- probability, a pro- real issue that United have a striker in Cristiano Ronaldo. Now we can argue his efficacy, we can argue whether he should be starting every game for the, for the rest of our lives, it doesn't matter. What matters is what he thinks. And he thinks he should be starting every game. And this is the problem with sending someone like Ronaldo, right? Mm-hmm. You can't send him and not play him. And uh, he's so influential in that dressing room. He's a player that absolutely everybody looks up to. So it's impossible to have a win in Manchester United with an upset Cristiano Ronaldo. Impossible. You have to get him out of the football club. Secondly, his the, what we were talking about earlier, his value to Manchester United transcends his football value. Right, so I honestly feel, and from what I'm told, and I put this out earlier, United will not send a central striker this summer and push that off. Right, there's also a couple of other logical extrapolations here. One, the budget. So let's say United spend 65 million on Dio, there's no way they have another 80. The 100 million to spend on Nunez, plus a couple of yep. other cents. It's yep. just, that money just not there. Yep. And so when you have 
and this is also one of the consequences, by the way, of kicking the striker thing down the road for so long, basically since yep. Ibrahimovic, right? Yep. They've been doing this, right? We'll do it next yep. year, we'll do it next year. We'll, then the problem is when you need to do it, you've got so many other needs, you can't do it, right? Yep. So, but given the fact that you know, they still have to do something with Anthony Martial, right? They still have to do something with a number of other players up front. Um, possibly Mason Greenwood, we don't know. Uh, I'm not sitting saying uh, morally or ethically that he should. I'm just talking about the practicalities, the reality that it could be still yep. a possibility. I don't know. <clears throat> um, uh, but I've covered it in my podcast from what I know on the Mason Greenwood thing. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, so with regards to Nunez, if you speak to people at United, what they will tell you is they were never interested in him in the price quoted. Uh, the agent tried to draw United into a bidding war with Liverpool, but they declined. So the notion that he turned down United is wrong. Uh, we were never an option for him uh, because United were not willing to meet the price. So um, not sure if that's 100% accurate, but it's probably not far off. I think no, I looked at the price and looked at the fact they want to go to Liverpool and just backed yeah. off. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, look, there's no doubt about it that Eric Ten Hag wanted him as a striker, but there are a lot of complications to the whole situation. I mean, this is sacrilegious to say, uh, but what you said about Ronaldo is correct. I think in an ideal world, frankly, you'd move Ronaldo on and make that signing this summer. It's not going to happen. It wasn't going to happen that Ronaldo is going to leave this summer. It seems impossible, but you would because it creates such a problem and I know that, you know, that was debated all year long about is Ronaldo a problem, but by problem, I don't mean that he can't perform, that he can't score goals. It's a problem. As you mentioned, when you have him, he's on a lot of money. He's got a lot of influence. He's got a lot of power in the dressing room and in the, frankly, in the management structure as well. And United have spent how long now? I mean, it's, it's even before Ibrahimovic in terms of not actually solving this striker problem for the long term. When you think about the old days of United, how many strikers they used to have, it's actually a joke how bad it's been for the last 10 years. You know, since Wayne Rooney's gotten old, they haven't had a striker. They bought Lukaku and, and that worked out for a little bit. But at the same time, they had Jose Mourinho and they should have known when you bring someone in, if they attach themselves to Jose Mourinho and you get rid of Jose Mourinho, that player's gone too. And, uh, and that happened. So he left. And they haven't solved the striker thing. And I think there was a thought with Ten Hag, which was Darwin Nunez is a really good player, a very good talent. I know that they looked at him all the way back in 2020 when he moved to Benfica in the first place. Uh, but obviously, you know, they didn't make a move at that time. And they thought we could solve this problem for the next 10 years if we get a player like this in. However, as you said, the money isn't there for De Jong and Nunez. And frankly, nobody will argue that getting a midfielder like Frankie De Jong isn't a bigger priority for United. It's the right choice. If Eric Den Haag was asked, and I'm sure he was, would you like Frankie De Jong or would you like us to pursue Darwin Nunez? He'd pick De Jong and he has picked De Jong, especially at 80 to 100 million. Now, if they'd put in an offer four or five weeks ago and said, decide, at 60, 70 million, or we'll move on. Would it have been better? Sure. They might've, they probably rejected. doesn't mean you get the player, but then they could have been a little quicker on the ball, but that's, that's just the part of how United has run for, for many years that they focus on this one thing at a time when it comes to actually making a signing and moving ahead with it. Uh, but either way, you know, there's a mixture here. I don't think they bid 80 to hundred million to match Liverpool and then, Nunez turned them down. I'm sure that as soon as they came up with that price and, and Liverpool put that amount of money on the table, you know, they, they weren't ready to compete with that and put those funds there. Well, what's going on with Nunez is uh, tell you a lot about De Jong. So United yep. knew quite quickly that Nunez preferred Liverpool. That's how long it takes to find out if your player wants to come to a football club or not. Yep. The thing about De Jong, mm -hmm. De Jong doesn't have any other alternatives to Manchester United. That's what would concern me is if another big, big club came in for De Jong that was a Champions League club, that would concern me. And that's one of the reasons why yeah. I want to see Nettie get this deal done quickly. Because um, right now, they is a player they badly need. Barcelona need to sell him. And we've seen this before from Manchester United where they dilly-dally and then someone else comes in and, and, and picks a player up. 
And uh, so I think it's really important that you need to support Ten Hag. The other thing is when you're Ten Hag right now, he's at his strongest point. Can't do anything wrong. If United don't support him now, because if you look, like I said earlier, with, with the how United do business, they start to lose interest in managers about the second season, right? Yep. They did this with Mourinho. Even Solskjaer, when Ranya came out and said, and I know it was COVID, talked about why did you sign Palestri, Cavani, yep. Van der Beek instead of a defensive midfielder, right? Yep. Quite clearly, United need a right back. Clearly, they need a right back, right? If there was three positions you were going to address this summer, it would be right back, defensive midfielder, and centre back for me, right? Because centre back was a disaster, and I, as every day goes by, I'm becoming less and less convinced we'll ever see a genuine Harry Maguire that is uh, a top class centre back. I mean, even when I watch him for England, I'm like, I, I just worry that maybe if there, if he is capable, maybe psychologically, it's it's, it's so much has happened that um, I don't know if we'll ever see, uh, especially with a Harry Maguire, that will lose the captaincy, right? So if he loses the captaincy, what does that do to him psychologically? You work for any company and you demote an employee, it never works because yeah. they're unhappy, they're disillusioned, they're pissed off, they want out. And so that would be a demotion for Harry Maguire. And some some cases, like you go back to Antonio Valencia, who wanted to change his number because the it just the pressure was too much, it can work for him. But if Harry Maguire is the type of guy that is relieved of not being captain, he should never have been captain in the first place, right? Because true leaders will never see it that way, right? I mean, can you imagine if he stripped Roy Keane, he'd have been offended, right? Real leaders. Mm-hmm. The problem with asking for leaders, James, is you need to have a clear direction of where you want them to lead you to. And Manchester United have not had that. If I no. say to a general, go lead my army, lead them where? To what? Define victory. Right? And there's a the problem. When you define victory for Manchester United, it's got nothing to do with football. It's got to do yeah. with money. The Executives at Manchester United, <clears throat> by any football metric, are completely inept. Yet yeah. they are the most, the highest paid employees in their position in the league. So they're clearly successful to their owners, the Glazers, right? But it has nothing to do with football because otherwise they wouldn't be there. Right? The Glazers don't love them more than they love profit and loss. So to me, I think when we talk about incentives, when we talk about how we define success and failure. This is part of what has to change at Manchester United. Um, and so when I look at the positions that they need to address, this is why I felt that the likes of Anthony made more sense because United need to spread that money out. 150 million dollars or about, maybe if they sell Danny Henderson, Wan-Bissaka, one or two others, that, can, that budget can be increased. So you're looking at three or four players around that 40, 45 million mark. Right, so maybe the young a little bit more, right? Yeah. That's what they need to do. So that's why, to me, Nunez was is, was never really an option. One of the problems with the striker position is it's the most expensive position in football, yeah. and every time United want to address it, they've got two or three other needs too, yeah. and they can't afford to go out and spend the hundred million on a striker and still address the other positions. So, you know, of course, as I said, the Mason Greenwood thing. Purely from a football perspective, you know, it's a nightmare for the club. Obviously, there's a human side, there's the ethical side that transcends football, transcends entertainment. You know, that that is far more important than anything else, right? So, uh, for Greenwood, I don't know if he's going to be reintegrated into the squad. You need to have to be very, very careful about that. Again, let me preface this by saying I am not saying that he should be. I'm not saying that we that anyone should should overlook what happened. Uh, I'm just looking at this from from, from a purely uh, disc, uh, conversational point of view. I don't know, and obviously, like we said earlier, for a football club, is very sensitive to their brand and their image. The reaction from sponsors and everything else would be huge. It's an awful conundrum for United because, from a purely business perspective, there's a hundred million pound striker that they badly need back in the squad. Yep. But yet, are you know cost benefit? Also, the factors, the ethical side of this—that you know, 
if Mason Greenwood is guilty of what looks like he's guilty of, he never should be involved in Manchester United again. Or if it's however, even still in question, you know, and, and flux yeah. where we don't know. Yeah. However, he would not be the first player mm-hmm. in football. I mean, we've talked with Ryan Giggs. I know Cristiano Ronaldo's court case was thrown out this week, but up until then, there was still a high probability mm-hmm. that he was guilty of what he was accused of. No one cares. Right? It's so Mason Greenwood, you know, unfortunately, um, he is someone that if he has committed this horrendous offence, right, which is indefensible, he there shouldn't be a description, no matter how much yep. he was. Right? Yep. You just, there still has to be, to me, things that transcend entertainment. I, I'm very vocally critical of Manchester City owners of, you know, because Mm -hmm. of the human rights records. And that is more important than my entertainment. That is more important than football. That is more important than anything. So um, that also, of of course, from a purely practical side, has hit the football club hard, right? And so um, ultimately, it's all just a massive tragedy. So I think... uh, this is also a major problem for the football club. Like, you know, that yeah. they they badly need a striker in the next twelve months. But I feel they'll push that off for another twelve months and probably address that next summer when they'll have absolutely no choice. Uh, so, to me, if you look at it logically, I think they'll 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 move for Anthony. Yeah, and and I and I, I agree with you there in in that sense. I think that there's there's also the sense that you can't get it wrong again at striker, right? Because they haven't solved it in so long, and because it's so expensive, you can't get it wrong. And I think it's become clear that Darwin Nunez was probably the only striker target they actually had this summer, and it not being viable at all at this point in time. Then there's no striker at all, and that's that's what you've heard, and and I think that makes a lot of sense. I have not heard a single, you know, viable striker name after Darwin Nunez. So it's something they'll, they're very likely push off. Now, when you talk about positions of priority, I have a slightly different perspective on, on one aspect of it, which is, you know, when I think right back, I agree entirely. That's when I, I would, I would, they, they need to solve it. It's been a problem for a long time. It's again, a shame because they spent so much money on one Saka to solve that right back problem for the future. And it hasn't solved it. Another miss, which is uh, unfortunate now. And, and the defensive midfielder, that midfielder position is also inarguable. We know everybody knows it. Those are two positions you can't, uh, you can't avoid when it comes to a name like Anthony. The one thing I look at when you talk about the, the squad as a whole is, you know, the thing United haven't done in years past is buy players before they're 50, 80 million, right? And develop them and, and get them up to that level. They've pretty much bought expensive finished players, finished article type players, or they've come through the academy. I mean, there, there's not a, a single one I can, there's not a single one in the team right now who they purchased at a low price that has become a great player. You know, at United, they were all coming from the youth team like McTominay or Rashford or, you know, all of that, or they were purchased for big money like Sancho and, you know, Luke Shaw maybe is the closest, but even he was big money at the time when he was brought in. Um, but, you know, when, when you talk about the right wing side and you talk about Anthony, the one thing I look at is this season, being in Europa League, we're not competing for a title in the Premier League. It's just not happening, right? Yeah. There's no chance of that. You have Palistri, you have Ahmad Diallo, and I'm not saying they're ready to be you know, full-blown Premier League starters for Manchester United, but you have them. You've spent 32 million on the two of them already with with another, you know, in add-ons potentially. And that can sound like a money-saving exercise to say, we'll use them and don't, uh, you know, and don't buy another player there, except there's some value in that. If you buy a player over top of them, when you have Sancho, when you have Rashford, when you have Elanga, when you have kids like Garnacho coming through the youth team, and then you have Ahmad and Palestra on top of that. If you buy another winger, a young winger, especially one like Anthony that's going to cost 50, 55 million, you can't not play him. He's got to play. You know, the cost involved with that means he's going to play. 
and you've just bought Sancho for 80 million. So he's going to play and Rashford is going to play and Ilanga is already there. So he's going to play. That means these two players are essentially pushed out by all of those players who are under the age of 25. Well, so their careers are done at United. That's the end of them there. And it's, it's more money down the drain. And, 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 and maybe that's the case. Maybe they don't make it. But couldn't you see a, a logic in here, which is what I'm looking at, it pushing that decision off another year, seeing how the kids do? I mean, Ahmad Diallo played what one game for us in Europa last year and scored a goal. Seeing what they can do, seeing what their capabilities are, and getting everything else fixed up all the other aspects the back line the right back the center back the defensive midfielder maybe two midfielders a backup left back to go behind Shaw seeing what the kids can do and next year just everything goes into the attacking positions and that's the kind of the logic I'm I'm looking at there is you know another you know they they made those purchases in 2020 instead of getting Jaden Sancho and they've done nothing with them nothing at all well I think there's a couple of problems for me, James. One of the problems is the gap between under-23 football and Premier League football is absolutely enormous. Yep. Secondly, um, just to, if I'm Darwin Nunez, I would go to Liverpool because to me, that is a team that is doesn't have problems all over the pitch. And it's much more likely I'm going to look good playing for Liverpool than I would for Manchester United. The Mental pressure on young players, if they don't succeed right away, will be unbelievable, right? And this is one of the realities of playing for a football club like Manchester United. The pendulum swings heavily both ways. When things yep. are going great, it is the best place in the world to be. But when it's not, it's probably one of the worst places. And we saw this in the yeah. players and their body language, their attitude, everything. Most of them look like they're conscripted to play for Manchester United. And that is a hard team to excel in. It's a hard team to look good in because nobody is buying into, I forgive me for using this word, the project, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I look at someone like James Garner, for example, right, James, James Garner is probably going to be loaned out again. James Garner out of Ahmad Diallo uh, and Palestri would be the most ready, right? Sure. Ahmad Diallo and Palestri have had a couple of really poor loans, right? I went up the ranges, didn't work out. Uh, Palesti you know, was in and out of uh, I think it was yet. Uh, yeah. uh, and so um, not exactly, if you were going to go buy those players on the back of the season that they've just had, they wouldn't even get a match. Now we're asking yeah. them to go play for the biggest football, or arguably the, one of the biggest football clubs in the world, where the focus and the pressure is going to be unbelievable, right? <clears throat> I don't know if that's a good environment to be promoting young players into because uh, I think it's a bit unfair on them. Uh, I, I also feel that uh, when you look at Ranić, one of the reasons why Ranić was sent and one of the reasons why, in my opinion, they went after Ten Hag was for the same thing. Ranić was his uh, his his you know, claim to fame, whatever you want to say was bringing young players in from all over the world and to turn them into superstars. Well, that's what yeah. Ten Hag's been doing at Ajax. That's clearly a consequence mm-hmm. of United's you know, nice strategy saying we can no longer go forward to compete with the biggest football clubs in the world. We need to start you know, lowering our expectations, bringing in young players to develop them. Uh, yeah. And that's clearly what United's strategy is going to be, um, which is why I believe they went with Ranić uh, to start getting the foundations for that to be put in place. <clears throat> uh, and... You know, to me, I think uh, Ranić was doing fine, really up until the end of January, right? Because if you yeah. look at yeah. um, his how he was doing at that point, he was doing all right. Then when the Greenwood thing happened, everything started to go mess. But uh, so to me, I think yes, you'll see United go out and sign those younger players, right? And I think with Anthony, I actually be desperate to avoid the same situation that happened with David Neres. Right? So I think they'll yep. sell him this yep. summer. I think they'd sell Timber this summer. And I think those are players that uh, if you need to go out and sign are within realistic expectation because they're, it, it, you need to, need to stretch that budget across four or five different positions. Yep. So the best you can hope for is a 35, 40 million pound player. And by the way, 
I'm not certain that's the worst thing in the world because if you look at, I did a podcast last week where we looked at the top 20 signings in yep. world football, right? I've had many of them. I'm talking about in terms of transfer fees. Yeah. That have actually worked yep. out. So few, even in the yeah. top 10, right? Yep. Dembele, Coutinho, João Felix, all this, yep. right? Very few of them have worked out. That price tag comes with enormous pressure. You know, yeah. and it, and it, the price tag is only mentioned when you fail, and a lot has to go right, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you look at Jack Grealish, everything else, it just hasn't worked out. I think yeah. that it's better for United. I also think that Dutch players are much more suited to a British climate. Uh, they speak the language, uh, Dutch coach, everything. I think that wouldn't be the worst move for United to make. And I think that's what we should expect this summer. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I, 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 uh, I like, I really like the signing, the potential signing of someone like Urian Timber. When you talk about the defensive difficulties that United have had the last few years, and there've been many, you know, Eric Ten Hag has a, has a, you know, very secure kind of system that he plays. It's uh, not that he's not flexible, but there are certain things that, you know, he's going to want and someone like, you're in timber coming in would give you a very, very talented young player who would again, transition well into Ten Hag system alongside someone like Frankie young. And, um, and I think that those are good players to buy in that range, 35, 40 million pounds around there. Um, the pressure, especially when you're talking about the players in those positions, the pressure wouldn't be too bad on them to be amazing right off the bat. Um, you know, my, my point of more on Anthony, when I talk about Palestri and, uh, you know, and, and, and Ahmad is that perhaps that extra signing might be better suited to getting another midfielder in, you know, a second signing in the midfield rather than in the forward positions where, you know, it, it can take some time. It can take some time to make a difference and where United are very thin. I mean, I know they have a Donny Vanderbeek coming back, but he's not really made it into that kind of deeper role and, and you've got really just Scott, Fred and, and De Jong. And I think if people see another season where De Jong's out and Scott and Fred are starting a bunch of games together, they're going to lose it. <laughs> and having a fourth option, you know, to play deep in that role would be ideal in terms of making up different matchups and making a, a bit of flexibility in the engine room. Um, but I think that is where they're going to go. I think they're the other name I, talked about and that was mentioned one time was that uh the left back Malaysia from Feyenoord and Ten Hag tried to sign him at Ajax and it's likely that he'd be interested in him at at United and he's 15 20 million and it's a good signing if you can replace Alex Tellers with someone like him you know Luke Shaw has been very good he's all at times he's also very much struggled with his injuries and his fitness at other times and it's a huge drop-off when you move from Luke Shaw down to Alex Tellez in terms of how he's performed um, recently. And, and that's another good one. And, and bringing in four or five players like that, I think does provide a better foundation for Ten Hag than anything else at the moment. And, and is where I think they'll, they'll look to go. And, and obviously we'll, we can debate all the different things that will happen and, and where they might uh, look next and, and all of that, but uh, at the very least, bringing in DeYoung, bringing in someone like Timber. The one concern I wanted to mention there is, I know he said that there was nothing stopping him from buying multiple players from Ajax. Um, there's a report that came out, I think, while we were, we're talking about this from, from the Times that said there's nothing in writing, but there's a bit of a gentleman's agreement not to rip apart that Ajax side because there's probably three or four players you could take from there that would suit United and, and help and improve. Uh, but if it was up to you in a decision, if you had to choose, if you couldn't sign two players from Ajax, if you couldn't, I'm not saying that's the case, I don't know. If you couldn't, would you prefer someone like Anthony or someone like Timber brought in, in terms of position, in terms of where they fit, in terms of where they could help? What do you think, given that they're probably um, going to be around similar fees? I would, I mean, look, if I had to pick one of them, I'd pick Timber and I'll tell you why. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't build a house. You don't build a house from the roof first. Yeah. You build it from the ground up. And no matter how good your strikers are, if you aren't getting them service and you aren't dominating games of football, 
those strikers who go, and this is what I mean by Darwin Nunez would be better for Liverpool than what he would be for sure. right? Um, then you start picking them apart on stupid things like can he press? Yeah. Can he do this? Can he do these things? Wouldn't even be a discussion if you never were winning games of football, right? It's when they don't win games of football, well, and that affects confidence of players because then you know, like I said, the crescendo of criticism that comes for again, if you play for Manchester United uh, is unbelievable, right? They're human beings, so I think uh, you have to build from the back first. They need a right back. They can't dominate games until they get this right because they keep conceding stupid yeah. goals from set pieces. They keep conceding stupid goals. And, and they go, I hate to use a stupid cliche, but goals change games, obviously. Right? Yeah. And so I think uh, that's the first thing you have to do. So to me, that needs to be addressed first. Secondly, when Mourinho came to Chelsea, he brought Cavallo, he brought Deco. You know, the, the, this idea that you can't come back and buy our players. Why not? Someone else is going to buy them. Right? No disrespect. Yep. I mean, I actually an amazing football club. Right? They're a selling club. Get, we know. Yeah, but yep. you get five million for one there. There's there somewhere around back. Right? Yep. These players don't want to stay. So if they don't want to stay and they have to sell them, then why can't they go to Manchester United? Right? If the player says he wants to stay at Ajax and doesn't want to follow Ten Hag, then that really, because it's not just down the Ajax, it's down that player too. Right? So then fine. So um, thirdly, like I said, with Anthony, I actually be really careful to avoid a repeat of the David Norris yeah. situation, right? Yeah. So it's in their interest too. You know, they're not giving these players away for free. They're not giving them United on a community outreach program. They're, they're getting a lot of money for them. So, uh, and I think it makes sense for Ten Hag to lower, to, to reduce the variables, know who you're working with, know the players that you're working with, know, how to, know, know that they trust you, you trust them. And I think that uh, all of them if Timber Anthony comes into Manchester, they improve Manchester. United. De Jong improves Manchester, United, right? So to me, I, I can't say that Darwin Nunez would definitely improve Manchester United because let's say Darwin Nunez scores twenty goals next season, then he got that from Ronaldo this season, right? So uh, is he a hold-up player? You know, one of the things that Cavani said, or, or Ranić said about Cavani was he was the only player that had to play with his back to goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is Nunez that player? I do a podcast with a guy called Zach Lowy who studies Portuguese football intensely. And by no means is he perfect. You know, Darwin Nunez, there's certain, there's oh, yeah. a lot of things left to develop. And what you just said, and I think this is important, when was the last time you took a young player and developed them and turned them into something better than what they were? It's very, 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 very rare. This is the things they have to change. The foundation of football yep. club has to change. So to me, uh, you know, this is where... You know, the, it, I would go out and say Christian Eriksen. You know, I asked yeah. yep. I asked about yep. Eriksen a week, two weeks ago. I was told he hadn't really been discussed. That doesn't mean that he wouldn't be. It doesn't mean that uh, he is someone that you know, wouldn't be interested in. But to me, Christian Eriksen would be an upgrade on Pogba. Yeah, I actually agree entirely there. Christian Eriksen makes, makes a lot of sense. When you look at it, he's, in terms of... Everything. I mean, he's, he's obviously a great player. He's proven it over years. He's very familiar with Ten Hag too, having even trained with them, as they mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very hard worker. Uh, he's got the right mentality for football. I mean, he's everything you'd want for free. You know, in terms of a signing, obviously the, the wages and the costs are going to be there, but he's not going to be 400,000, 300,000 a week, anything like that. Um, you know, he's coming off Brentford where he did really well to work himself back into being and proving he can be on the pitch following his whole, you know, health problem that occurred on the, on the national team. Um, he'd be an amazing signing. He's very flexible. He can play in many different positions across the, uh, the attacking front and in the midfield. And, and I think that's a great signing. And I think for me, that's where I look at spend as much, you know, buy all these players you can right back midfield, center back, left back, bring in Ericsson for free. These are the foundations that will really help. And, and as you said, as well, a player, I think who can, who is another leader in a way, you know, he's, there's a lot of good things that have been said about Christian Ericsson over his career in terms of, you know, leading by example. I'm not saying I have any idea how he is vocally, but a player who, you know, has the right attitude, the right mentality and, and filling the dressing room with those type of players is important and, uh, and would be a definite upgrade to the, to the whole situation. And I, I guess we'll have to see on that. Obviously, he's in discussion about whether to stay at Brentford, whether to return to, to Tottenham, um, mm-hmm. or 
to move onwards. And I think if he, if he is open, then United have to be an option. They've been linked so many times in the past. The club have obviously liked him in the past. They've had discussions in the past and uh, they do tend to sign people at times that they wanted years prior uh, later on. Mm-hmm. In this case, fortunately, it wouldn't be for uh, too much money. It'd be for less than they might've paid beforehand. So that would definitely be a good, uh, good one to keep an eye on. And uh, I think we could all, yeah. I think everybody be excited about a signing like that. As when well. you're trying to strike, when you're trying to attract a budget, that's exactly what you should do. Cheers. Um, yep. We'll go ahead and leave it there. And yeah. thank you so much as always, Mads, for doing this. Uh, pleasure to do this for the first time. Uh, we will come back and do more. I'll be back as well with more stuff through the week, folks, as I get it. Uh, thanks to all of you for your downloads, likes, retweets, follows, everything. Um, very much appreciated. And thanks to James for doing this. All the best, Mads. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Cheers.